starting in verse 1. It says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne, and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to, tap, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in, the, in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And it also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. All right. Y'all ready to go home? <clears throat> Tonight, um, there are several ways to interpret this particular part of Revelation. I'm going to teach it the best way that I know how and the way that I, I interpret the rest of the book of Revelation as far as as a futurist, if you will. But I also want to make sure that we focus tonight on letting the Scripture interpret the Scripture for us. Alright? So basically, we're going to be flipping back and forth a lot tonight because we're going to be looking at other places in Scripture that might give us a better understanding of exactly what it is that John is talking about. Because yes, 
He is seeing a vision that he's writing down, but he's not the only one that has ever seen things like this. And he's not, and also in other places in Revelations, he actually comes out and explains to us this is what this image means. And so a lot of this we're going to be able to break down and understand from other parts of Scripture that this is what he's talking about. But on the other hand, there's going to be some parts of it that that we will have to speculate on. And we're going to just understand whenever we talk about these particular things that as far as we know, they're just speculation. Unless we can find somewhere that gives us a, a definite understanding of it, we're going to take it as it is and just make our speculations on it and see how it lines up with the rest of it, okay? And so we'll just do the best that we can with it and see what it is that we come up with. Now, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to remember that um, we've been talking about the great tribulation and the, the work that Satan has been trying to accomplish both before... Well, let's just say it like this. We've been talking about the work that Satan has been trying to accomplish since the beginning of his creation. All right, He wants people to worship Him. He wants to be God. He wants to set His throne above the throne of Almighty God. And He wants to be the Most High. And so He desires more than anything to be worshipped as God because of His beauty and His wisdom and, and because of His pride within Himself and who He thinks He is. He desires more than anything to be worshipped. You remember one of the things that He tried to get Jesus with when He was tempting Jesus and He said He took Him up on this high mountain and He showed Him all the kingdoms of the world. And He said, every bit of this I will give to you. And don't get me wrong, at that time He had authority over these things. Alright? So in a certain sense, He could have offered that truly. But... The stipulation was, I'll give it to you if you'll only do what? Bow down and worship Me. His heart's desire is that, is that both God Himself and the world would look at Him and say, He is greater than Almighty God. And because of that, it's got Him cast out of heaven. And because of that, um, he, he led mankind into a rebellion against God. All right, trying to keep man from worshiping God. And so, and then whenever God determined that He would save mankind and bring them back into His worship, He's been chasing the Messiah ever since that was going to save them. And so He tried to kill Moses. He tried to kill Joseph. He's tried to kill anybody that He tried to kill David. Anybody that looked like the Messiah, He's going to attack them. And if He can't get an individual, He'll go after the whole group. And there have been many times you read your Old Testament that he has tried to take out the entire Jewish race. All right? And he continues to do that even throughout today. He still, even though he knows the Messiah has come, he is still trying to take out God's chosen generation. He is still trying to defeat Jesus in any way that he can. And so one of the things that we're going to see in tonight is that all throughout history, the Satan has been raising up, if you will, leaders and nations that would come against God's children. Leaders and nations that would follow Him and worship Him and do His will. I would have you know that all of these other false gods that they were worshiping, the Bible tells us they were actually worshiping demons. 
And so ultimately, when they worshipped the Baals or the Ashtoreths or whatever the god was that they worshipped, the false god, if you will, in a sense, Satan had led them into worshipping him. Because they may not be worshipping God, but they're worshipping something, and they're worshipping exactly what Satan has led them into. Okay, And so Satan has always indwelt, if you will, certain human beings to, um, to do his will throughout. And so um, whenever we see um, Daniel talking about, the, uh, I think it was Gabriel or Michael, I can't remember which angel it was that was trying to get to Daniel, but he said, I couldn't get to you. You remember why he couldn't get to him? He was fighting with the prince of Persia. There was a Persian empire that had risen up, and Satan and his demons were working through this evil power. And so all throughout history we can see Satan raising up people and powers and what we would call Antichrist. But Jesus and Daniel and all of the Bible has always told us that eventually, one day, even though there have been many Antichrists, if you will, one day they are all going to come together into one single human being. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you can turn there with me real quick. Paul taught us about it. John talked about it a lot in, um, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But Paul really taught about it here in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because the Thessalonians had fallen into a um, false belief that the Lord had already come back. And so they believed that the second coming Lord had already taken place. And so they were falling into this dark um, doctrine of, of unbelief really. And so Paul has to address that. Notice what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll look at verse 1 and we'll go through verse 10. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him. Remember, they think it's already happened and we got left out. That's a pretty scary thought, right? Now concerning this, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, uh, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So he was dealing with false teachings back then. There were false teachings coming in saying, hey, the Lord's already come and y'all missed out. And he said, don't let nobody shake you up. Whether it's some spirit that you're feeling, or some false teaching, or a letter that seems to come from us. And, and he explains why. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion or the falling away comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's talking about a particular person here, okay? And notice he calls him the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. In verse 4, he describes him. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, that I taught you these things? Where else have we heard this before? Where else has this been taught before? John? Where else? In the Old Testament. 
Where would Paul have got this teaching from? Yeah, there are some things about the coming of the Lord in Zechariah. Daniel. Daniel. Daniel talks about the Antichrist taking his seat in the temple of God and removing everything about God and, 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 take, and making people worship Him. All right? So we're Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Um, if you go to Daniel, wherever you go, we're talking about the same guy here. Okay, It's a single person that all of the evil power of Satan has come together and now where it has always been kind of individually spaced out, Satan fully empowers this guy right here. Keep reading with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 6. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So right now, He's being restrained and His power is not able to be what it will be in that day when this restraining is taken away. Now we'll get into that later, but just keep going with me. Verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains it will do so until He is taken out of the way. And just most people see that as the Holy Spirit. Some people see it as the church. There are several different interpretations of that. But the point being is this. This this full power of Satan is being restrained for the time being. You're not seeing the full power of Satan. But do you remember what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation? What did we read about in Revelation chapter um, 8 and chapter 9? What's going to happen in the... um, in the trumpets that are blown. What comes out? Every demon for... Literally, right now, most of this power is being held back and restrained. He's not... What you're seeing right now in the evil in this world is only a very small fraction of the power of Satan because he's being restrained. But there is coming a day that this restraining force, whether it be the church or whether it be the Holy Spirit, I believe personally it's the Holy Spirit, but whenever He takes that out of the way and He allows Satan to come forth in full wrath and full power, I believe that's what you're seeing right here. He does it through this man we're going to study about tonight. So in verse 8, "...and then the lawless one will be revealed." whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of His mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of His coming. So in other words, He's going to have a short time where His rage is able to to just wreak hell on earth, if you will. But then, at the appearance of the Lord Jesus' coming, He's done for. Alright? But now look at verse 9, because here's the part I've been trying to get to. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Now that's important. So when this lawless one appears, he is coming in the fullness of the power of Satan. Now if you're only seeing a fraction of it in the entire world, you've never seen anything like what you're going to see in this one individual when it all comes together and the power of Satan culminates in him. But he says here that he's going to come with all power of the activity of Satan with false signs and false wonders. 
There's going to be great signs and great wonders that are going to deceive many. Look at verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So again, you can go back to Revelation chapter 13 now. But the point being is this. It has been taught since the Old Testament that there is coming a day when this man of lawlessness, this man of sin, this man who comes in the fullness of the power of Satan. And when he comes, there is nothing restraining his power. There is nothing restraining evil at all. God takes His restraining force completely out of the way and He is allowed to come in fullness. Now right now, I'm not telling you that Satan don't have evil and power. I'm just saying that the Bible teaches us there's a difference in what you see now and what you're going to see during this time if we are here. So back to Revelation chapter um, 13. We'll just look at these uh, one step at a time. First off, let's just look at this thing that is called the beast. So notice in verse 1 he says, or actually back up to the very last part of chapter 12 where it says, and he stood on the sand of the sea. And it's talking about the dragon in his fury. All right, Satan is in his fury and he stands on the sand of the sea wanting to take out all of God's people. But then we see that a beast rises up out of the sea. Satan's standing on the sea and a beast rises up out of the sea. And what you're going to see is this is the image that's happening. Satan is the dragon. The beast is the man of lawlessness that Satan is going to give all of his authority to all of his power to, and he is going to have all the activity of Satan because the dragon on the sand gives it to the beast that rises out of the sea. Now, what is the sea? Let's just take a look at that. Well, let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture and go with me to um, Revelation chapter 17. Hold your place because we'll flip right back to chapter 13. Revelation 17 verse um, 15. We're talking about the same waters here. But in verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute was seated, and we'll get into that later too, are what? So you interpret it for me. If this beast is the man of lawlessness, which you're going to see as we go through it, it lines up with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it lines up with what Daniel said about him, the beast is the man of lawlessness. It is the Antichrist. All right, The one that we have all been warned is coming. What's he rising out of? He is going to be a human being. 
He rises up out of some nation, out of some multitude, out of some language, out of some tribe. That's the point here, I believe. The point is that this anti- there are some people who believe that this Antichrist is just a, a whole particular nation. That it may be as kind of like Persia was against Israel or kind of like Babylon, Babylon was against, um, against Israel. So there are some people that interpret that way. I truly believe when you let Scripture interpret Scripture, what you see is that this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, he is going, it is a person, and it is going to rise up out of a sea of people, multitudes, nations, or languages. All right? Y'all see where I'm coming from on that? Uh, so that's what I believe he's talking about here when he says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. The next thing it says is that he had ten horns seven heads and ten crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Now again, go with me to Revelation 17 and let's see if we can figure out what this is because he describes it for us in Revelation 17 beginning in verse 7. Let's start in verse 7. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So here's another thing that I believe what he's saying is the beast is basically Satan. And I believe what he's saying here is that he was because before... um, before um, he was cursed in the garden, basically, he was this great being, all right? But then he, and, and, and even through that time, until Christ come, I believe that he was, all right? He, he probably had the, pretty much the fullness of power through there. Because you remember when he came before Job, he had the power of sickness, he had the power of death, because uh, God said you can do anything to him except and so God allowed him to exercise the fullness of his power over all, over everybody that God allowed, right? All right. But then whenever whenever Jesus died, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, "I have the the keys to Hades and I have the keys to death." And so ultimately what we see is that is that Jesus in some way took a lot of his power away from him, all right? Not all of it, but a lot of it. And then we see that somehow or another he's coming back because notice what it says at the end of verse 7. It says here that... um, I'm sorry, verse 8. It says that the beast you saw was and is not, but is about to rise from the bottomless pit and ultimately go to destruction. So what we're seeing there are all the, the stages of life basically for Satan. And ultimately, what's his ultimate end? He's going to destruction. That's the ultimate end, all right? But now keep going with me in verse 9. I'm sorry, the end of verse 8. And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And so they're going to marvel at this beast. Exactly what Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? They're going to marvel at His wonders and His signs and, and they're going to see that, um, 
you know, he wasn't, and then, then, or he was, and then he wasn't, and now he is again. And so God is going to bring them strong delusion, and he is going to lead many people into worshiping him. But then go on down with me again to verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So that's the first thing we can understand about this beast. The seven heads are what, first and foremost? Seven mountains, all right? Now here's where a little history comes into play. Rome was called the city on seven hills. Rome was called the city of seven mountains, basically. And so one of the things that we can understand from history here, and probably the people who were reading this first before us, probably understood that completely. They probably saw that they said, okay, well then the seven heads are basically basically the, the kingdom of Rome. The powers of Rome is basically what it is. All right, And then notice what it says next. They are also seven kings. And so not only are they seven powers of Rome, but they are seven kings of some kind. And so basically what we're looking at here is the beast rises up in the power of Rome, if you will, and the leaders, the kings that lead this, that, that lead them in Rome. Now, if you were to keep going with me in verse uh, nine, or verse ten, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. Now, here's again where some history comes into play. And if you go back and you do a little study in Daniel, we may go back there a little bit tonight. But one of the things you'll learn is here's kind of the history of what happened. What was the first nation to take over Israel? Go further back. Further back. Further back. Well, who said it? Egypt. Egypt. That's the first power that takes over. All right? And then the next power that takes over is Babylonians. The next power that takes over is the Persians. I think I heard somebody say that as well. The next power that takes over is Greece. The next power that takes over is Rome. All right? And so basically what you have here, I may have left one out. Hang on. Did I leave one out? Assyria. That's right. Thank you. So basically you got Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, and Greece. Those five powers at this time had already fallen and they fell to Rome. All right? Rome was the world power at this time. So what he's saying here is this. The beast is going to be made up of seven kings. He's going to be made up of seven powers. And the beast is going to be made up of five whom have fallen. One is, who was the power at that time? Rome. Alright, so you got the five before them. you got Rome. And then the other has not yet come. And so many believe that what this is talking about is that Rome, it is the one that received the mortal wound. Alright? Many believe that it is the one that, that it was the kingdom that received the mortal wound and that it seems like it died. But they believe that one day that Rome is going to rise again. As a matter of fact, here in the last 50 years, there have been because of the European common market. And if you want to look that up, it's basically a one world economic system. But because of the European market, there are many people that believe that Rome has already risen again. 
in that particular thing. Um, there was a um, newspaper article back in 2004 entitled, um, Europe is United Once Again. And it was about the European market and how all these powers had come together um, in this common economic market. And so we are seeing that it looks like that Rome really is rising again right now. It may not be called Rome. Right now it's called Europe, all right? But it is rising again. And so they believe that that's what this means, is that the other has not yet come. That Rome is going to rise again. And when He does come, He must remain only for a little while. So if it is Rome and it rises again, it must remain only for a little while. Now keep going with me in verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. Now again, try not to get too confused. I understand this is... um, But basically, here's what he's saying. That when Rome rises again, the beast that you see is going to be the culmination of all of those powers that basically He's going to be the monarch of all the world. That basically He is rising up on the power of ancient Egypt, on the power of ancient um, uh, Syria, um, Babylon, um, Greece, um, the, the Persians. He's rising up on the power of Rome. And so when it says here again in verse um, 11, "...as for the beast that was and is not..." It is an eighth. An eighth what? An eighth king. All right? An eighth king. An eighth world power. But it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And so again, here's, don't get too confused. Wrap it all up in this nice little package. The Antichrist is going to be the most powerful leader the world has ever seen. Matter of fact, he is going to do things in the world that is going to make the rest of the world look and go, wow, if you can do that with these, just take over the whole world. Just do it. And he's going to have so many signs and wonders and his leadership abilities are going to be in such a capacity that the world is going to look at him and just stand in awe of what he is able to accomplish in such a very short amount of time. But... His end is going to destruction. Now go to verse 12 with me. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. So in other words, there were ten in in John's day, there were ten more kings that were going to rise up. We don't know. This is speculation. There are some people that say, well, this was... um, This was... um, Germany, I mean, they, you can name off who, who it may have been. But there were ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. And so again, there are some that interpret this to say that when he rises up in his power, that ten kings are going to come together with him in the world, and they're all going to rule together, but don't stop there, keep going. In verse 13, these are of one mind, and they hand over their power and their authority to who? So again, ultimately, here's the point. The whole world looks at this 
this man, the man of lawlessness, and they see him as such a leader that the whole world is happy to let him take over and let him run things around here. He basically turns this into a, a one kingdom world and he turns this into a one world religion, one world economic system. And you're going to see more about that as we continue to go as well. But again, the ten horns are ten kings and they eventually hand over their power to the beast and ultimately he is the culmination of all evil power that has ever existed and he now at this moment rules the world for a short period of time. But then notice what he does in verse, 13, in verse 14 of Revelation 17. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. So again, the, the point there is just simply that, that as these world powers arise and as it all culminates into this man of lawlessness, there is coming a point to where He leads the world to go after the church, to go after the Jewish people and to, to kill them basically. So now go back with me to Revelation chapter 13 and let's read it again. I saw a beast rising out of the sea, which we said is out of the peoples. All right. He had ten horns, which we said are ten kings. All right. And he had seven heads, which we said is also ten kings or, ten, or, or seven world powers. And he had ten crowns on his horns. And that would make sense since the ten horns were kings. And blasphemous names were on its head. And so ultimately what we see there is that all of these world powers, when, as they're culminating into the Antichrist, they all are anti-God. And whether you believe it or not right now, your very president is anti-God. He is anti-God. And you're going to see more and more people in the world that get on this train of we want to break the bonds of God off of us and we don't want to follow the ways of God. We don't want to submit to God. We want to do our own thing. And all of these blasphemous names of these, of these leaders and these world powers, again, are going to come together into one single human being that is going to be more powerful and more evil than any that you have ever seen. And so then in verse 2 it says, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like the feet of bears. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And here you could go back to Daniel, all right? In, um, in Daniel chapter 7, verses um, 4 through 6, I believe it is. You could go back there and look. And basically, Daniel describes um, Babylon as a lion. He describes um, Persia, I think it was. Let me look again, see if I wrote that down. Yes, he describes the, the, the Medo-Persian kingdom as a bear in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 1 through 4. Now he interprets this in Daniel chapter 7. That's why I gave you that to begin with. But if you read the entirety of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 through 5 is about the Babylonian kingdom. And then the Persians come in and take over. All right, And then in Daniel chapter 5, we read about um, the Persian kingdom being like a bear. 
And then the Greek Empire was like a winged leopard because of uh, Alexander the Great's swift rise and his conquest that, that happened so fast. And so again, what you're having right here is that Daniel interprets that in verse 2, the beast that he saw was like... What does it mean to be like something? It resembles it. So basically what he's saying is it resembles a leopard, which was the Greek empire, Alexander the Great, and the way that he conquered the world. So it resembles that. And its feet were like a bear's, which was the Medo-Persian empire. And so that it resembles that. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth, which represented the Babylonian empire. So again, all he's saying right here, don't get too confused, all he's saying right here is just that this beast is going to look like the, the powers of Babylon look like. It's going to look like the powers of the Medo-Persians. It's going to look like the powers of the Greeks. This beast, what? He does. He has it all. And that's the point. That's the point of this writing right here is he wants them to understand that all the evil you've ever seen in every leader, this one guy, this one guy and his world government looks like all of them come together in one. We can't imagine this. We can't imagine what this is like. And then notice what he says in the next part of it. And to it, the dragon did what? Gave his power, his throne, and his great authority. Same thing Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right? All the activity of Satan, all the power of Satan, all the authority of Satan. Same thing, just different authors, that's all. And then in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And again, you remember its heads were world powers, right? And so most theologians... There's two ways to interpret this. Some people interpret this that he is going to be killed, that the Antichrist is actually going to be killed, but he's going to rise from the dead. It's going to look like he had a mortal wound, but he's going to have his own resurrection the way that Jesus did, because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to copy what God does, all right? That, that's one way to interpret it, and that could be it too. There are others that interpret to say that this is basically the, the kingdom of Rome, that basically it was mortally wounded, but and it was a world power, it was one of the heads, but it was mortally wounded and cast down, and it looked like it was gone, but one day it's going to rise from the dead, and it's going to be again. So again, that's speculation. I don't know which one is correct on that, but either way, there is some kind of resurrection that takes place here, whether it's a kingdom or whether it's a man that dies. <clears throat> and then, notice what happened. When its mortal wound was healed, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Except for who? You remember what Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Except for who? Except for the ones that's names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the earth were ever laid. In other words, the saved are not going to follow this guy. All right? We get so worried, and I see us Christians, we get so shook up. Am I going to get the mark of the beast? If I do this, if I get this shot, is it going to be the mark? Is it going to be? And, and don't get me wrong, I understand. I, I'm not making fun of nobody. I mean, it's, it's confusing. I get it. 
But you need to understand something. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you're not, you, you don't have to worry about taking the mark. You don't have to worry about uh, worshiping the beast. The guarantee is the whole world. And, and you know what? Let's look at the other side of it. The ones that are going to worship Him, you know why they're going to worship Him? Because God sends a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie. God just goes ahead and pushes them right on over and says, you're not going to accept the truth. You're not going to believe the truth. You're not going to love the truth. So I'm going to go ahead and let you be condemned with this guy and I'm going to let you believe it so that you worship Him. So you're either going to be in the Lamb's book of life and you don't have to worry about following the beast at all or you ain't going to know it no way. Right? All right. That's right. So go go on with me to verse 4. And they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast. So you see how they worship the dragon? So here's how Satan always gets his worship. He always puts himself in something else. Like for the people of old, they were worshiping gods of, of sex or gods of corn, or gods of harvest, or gods of war. All Satan has to do is put himself in the desires of man. And when those desires come to be, they worship it. And so what he's done here is he puts all of his power into this magnificent man, I can call him that because that's what he's going to be. And as he does that, the world worships him. And as the world worships the beast, who are they actually worshiping? That's who they're actually worshiping. So, here's what they say. They worship the beast saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? They see his conquering power. They see his magnificent leadership. And they look at him. And let me tell you something. This is not far-fetched. People worship politicians today. Donald J. Trump being one of them. If, if I got you, just say ouch and go on. Jo- Donald J. Trump being one of them. People worship politicians today. This is not far-fetched. This is not far-fetched at all. They'll look at this politician and they'll say, wow, look at what he does and look at how he's bringing all this together and look at how magnificent he is or she is or whatever the case may be. And all I'm saying too is you better be careful. You better be careful. And then in verse 5, see if we got time to finish. We ain't got time to finish, but we'll get to, just to this next part. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 42 months going back to the three and a half years, all right, the last half of the tribulation. And so honestly, for 42 months, for three and a half years, God allows this man to have absolute authority. God does not restrain evil at all. And I want you to think about this. Because all of hell has been released. The world is full of every demonic power that there is. 
They are all turned loose completely to have their way with the earth. And so what you see right here is God allowing evil to have absolute control. And it is according to His purpose. It is according to His purpose. For 42 months this is going to happen. In verse 6, It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. You know why He's doing that? What happened to Him in Revelation chapter 12? (laughs) And He came down to earth with what? Great fury. Great fury. And He is exercising all of His power right here and right now. And then in verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. He's going to be allowed to kill them. And this is still part of God's plan too. And this is the reason why He gives the encouragement here at the end. That's where we'll stop, but keep going with me. And all authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. What does that mean about His authority on the earth? He is a monarch over the entire world. Y'all see that? This is who's coming. And then look at verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If your name is written in the book, you're not going to worship this. But if it's not, you ain't going to have no choice. You will worship. And then in verse 9, I love the way that he ends this part. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And here's what he wants them to hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. What's he saying? What's he saying? If you're in this time period and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, He's going to have complete reign over you. But if you are meant to go to captivity, guess what? If you're meant to be killed with the sword, guess what? But no matter what, I don't care if you've got to go to captivity, I don't care what you've got to do, don't you quit believing. Don't you stop persevering in faith. Don't you stop enduring. Now, go ahead. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. Yeah, a severe warning. And again, a call to endurance. A call to don't you quit, no matter what. I don't care what you got to go through. I don't care what you got to endure. Do not deny the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what. And um, here's another thing. If all the world is going to worship Him, 
He's got to have somebody preaching His gospel, right? And that's what we're going to get into next week. We're going to get into the second beast or the false prophet is what he's called in other places. And basically, this is the beast preacher. This is the one that does signs and wonders in the presence of the beast. And so we're going to see a one world government. That's what you just saw, All right, That's what it's coming to. And then you're going to see a one world religion. And the only ones that won't be in that religion are the ones that endure in the faith. So that's what we're going to get into next week is is, uh, the second beast or the false prophet in the one world religion. All right, is there any <laughs> is there any questions? I know, and again, like I said, don't get don't get discouraged in parts like this. Um, we just see what the Bible has to say, and when it interprets itself, we can be pretty sure that we've got it right, right? And the other parts that we speculate about, it's just speculation. Is it going to be Rome that is resurrected? Is it going to be a man that's resurrected? I don't know. I don't. But I do know that something is going to receive a mortal wound. And it's going to be so amazing that when it rises again, the world looks at it and they are amazed at what they see. So whatever it is, it's going to lead many to worship the beast, whatever it is. Anything else? All right. That's right. And that's the whole point. When you go back to Revelation chapter 1, he tells you why he wrote this and why he gave the revelation. He said, listen, I, I wrote this so that my servants will know the things that must take place soon. I just want them to know. These are the things that are going to take place. And this was important for the Thessalonians. Remember, Thessalonians said, oh no, we've missed it. The Lord has come again. Paul said, wait a minute. Hold on. Don't you remember what I taught you about what's going to happen at the end? You ain't seen none of that yet. If if this had happened, then yeah, maybe you ought to be worried. But you ain't seen this happen yet, have you? You've not seen this. And so until this happens, and that's what he means by the rebellion, until the world turns completely away, until there's a great falling away, until that happens and the man of lawlessness comes up, the Lord ain't come back yet. He ain't come back yet. And we're okay. There's still time. Amen. All right, anything else? Thank you all for your time and attention. If you'll come back next week, I'll try to do a little bit of a better job of explaining it, but um, I think that you can, you can figure it out. All right, let's go to Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, I just come to You right now and I just ask You that You would help us to, um, to understand what it is that we're going to do with this. Lord, I don't, um, I don't believe You ever give us Your Word and You don't have a purpose behind it. Lord, You said that it will never return back to You void. You will always cause it to accomplish the purpose that You sent it out for. And so, Father, I just pray that whatever this was for tonight, that You would help us to understand it. Lord, that You would help us to interpret it correctly. And most importantly, God, when, when we do that, I pray that we would apply it and figure out Uh, what we do with it. Lord, if it's just a call to endurance that no matter what we have to face, that we keep believing, whatever it is, Lord, God, I just pray that You would help us to find a way to apply this in our life and that, um, Father, we just heard what You have to say to us tonight. Father, thank You again for um, just um, this group of people that You've put together. And I just pray that You would help us to continue to, to just be here for each other and to help each other grow in the faith and just keep trusting You no matter what we face in this cursed world. 
Father, we love You. We praise You. We can never thank You enough for all that You do for us, God. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.